This is LBC with Nick Abbott. And we cross to America. Simon Marks is LBC's US correspondent, joins us now from Washington, D.C. Hello, Simon. Evening, Nick. Um, we've been talking in this hour about the prospect of uh, Great Britain taking uh, Ukrainian refugees. What, what's uh, America's um, offer for uh, for um, taking in Ukrainian refugees? Well, there really hasn't been one. Uh, there has been an announcement from the State Department over the last 24 hours uh, of additional humanitarian assistance for the people of Ukraine, uh, which involves the provision of an additional $54 million uh, in humanitarian assistance. Uh, however, the position of the United States, as it has been described uh, in the announcement uh, of that additional money that came from Secretary of State Antony Blinken is, and I quote, the United States commends the hospitality of neighboring countries in the region hosting fleeing Ukrainians, and we are engaging diplomatically to support their efforts to keep their borders open and assist those seeking international protection. Um, I think the reality uh, of the political situation here is that the Biden administration will be very loath, at least in these early stages of the crisis, uh, to talk about bringing substantial numbers of Ukrainians to the United States. I mean, there will be some, of course, that have family ties with the U.S. and therefore uh, the right to apply for asylum in the United States. But uh, the idea of throwing America's doors open to Ukrainians after having thrown America's doors open to Afghans uh, I I to some degree uh, following the botched uh, military withdrawal last August would spark a firestorm politically here, politically here. Republicans would be all over Joe Biden, accusing him of uh, caring more about Ukraine's border than he cares about the southern border. I mean, he's already on the receiving end of that criticism. And I think the last thing that he would want to do is spark a huge political row over immigration, uh, what, you know, nine months away from America's midterm elections that are going to uh, determine whether Republicans win back control of both houses of Congress, thus neutering the Biden presidency. So I think they're going to uh, continue to congratulate neighbouring countries in the region for doing uh, what they're doing in terms of opening their doors to Ukrainian refugees, provide them with some funding uh, to help defray the costs of that. But at this point, you're not going to see very much action from the Biden administration in terms of opening America's doors. Yeah, I suppose uh, that's uh, one of the benefits of running a dictatorship. You don't have to concern yourself with uh, what the voters think. Um, <laughs> well, there is that. And we've now, by the way, I mean, you and I talked about polling numbers last night. We're now seeing polling numbers that will concern the White House because uh, polls out uh, today that were conducted over the uh, last four days show that only 34% of Americans say they approve of the way in which Joe Biden is handling uh, the Ukraine crisis. 48% disapprove. 17% are unsure. 74% um, of voters in a Yahoo YouGov poll uh, say um, that uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia is not justified. 
but extraordinarily, when you dig into the numbers uh, and look at how uh, Donald Trump's 2020 voters view this, only 3% of Donald Trump's voters in 2020 are willing to say that President Biden is doing a better job leading his country than Vladimir Putin. 47% of Trump voters say Vladimir Putin is doing a better job than Joe Biden, even at the point where the Russian economy is collapsing, uh, banks are facing a run as uh, Russian citizens try to get their cash out, uh, and the Russian central bank, bank will pay you 20% interest if you're crazy enough uh, to try and invest your money there at the moment. It's ex they're just extraordinary numbers. Right, let's talk about the State of the Union address, which we don't really have that here. So, um, can you tell us briefly what it is and what Joe Biden is likely to say on it? Yeah, it's the big annual speech that the President makes to a joint session of Congress. Uh, last year, President Biden did make a speech, but it wasn't officially a State of the Union address, uh, because the first year you're in the presidency, you don't make one. But now he's in the second year, so it will be called tomorrow night night a state of the union address uh they're going to be thin on the ground up on capitol hill because of uh, covid19 restrictions i think only uh, 25 percent uh, of the uh house of representatives democrats and republicans uh, are going to be in the chamber and 25 percent of the senate democrats and republicans will be in the chamber but this is the big annual speech that the president of the united states always makes in which he uh, assures americans from coast to coast watching in their living room that whatever vicissitudes are besetting America at the time, the state of the Union is strong. Now, Ukraine is clearly going to serve as a dramatic backdrop for this speech uh, in just over 24 hours' time, and President Biden is going to have to find a way of doing two things simultaneously. One is sending a very clear message to Vladimir Putin that uh, he needs to pull his forces out and that the United States is not going to allow his aggression uh, towards Ukraine to stand. He needs to do that in a way that is not further going to inflame the situation. And the White House was very clear today that Joe Biden has not been saying very much over the last 72 hours because he doesn't want uh, to uh, ratchet up the rhetoric in uh, this kind of escalating crisis with Vladimir Putin. But the other thing Joe Biden's got to do tomorrow night, reflective of those polls that we were just talking about, is find a way of explaining to American voters why it is important for the United States to be engaged in the Ukraine crisis, but to be engaged in a way that is not going to lead to economic dislocation here at home. So we are definitely going to be hearing from Joe Biden tomorrow night about uh, the price of fuel in the United States and the efforts that he is making to keep that under control by carving out energy payments to Russia, uh, even though there's this punishing regime of of sanctions in place, bringing the Russian economy to its knees. And he's also going to have to address all sorts of other issues, including, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic and why he believes that it's now in retreat in the United States. And the economy, which is uh, stronger than many analysts had expected it to be, and yet still faces the spectre of difficulty, particularly with inflation, resulting from all of the dislocation caused by the pandemic. So this is going to be a big State of the Union address this year, uh, and that's partly because of Ukraine, but it's also partly because of all the other issues besetting the United States at this remarkable moment in history. Yes. Um 
there's uh, also something quite remarkable about what's happening to the north uh, on, the, on the border with uh, Canada. Uh, this uh, freedom... Uh, what do you call it? The, the Freedom Convoy. The, cre- the Freedom Convoy, yeah. that's right. There was also one in uh, Las Vegas, wasn't there? The, the, it was supposed to be a big deal, and four lorries showed up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were supposed to be um, uh, making their way from uh, California to Washington, D.C., in time for the State of the Union address, and uh, sensing that Washington, D.C. could start looking a lot like Ottawa had been looking, uh, the National Guard were laid on. We were told that there were going to be 800 members of the National Guard patrolling the city. Uh, the fence around Capitol Hill was put back up for the State of the Union address. Uh, but then, when the uh, so-called convoy arrived in Las Vegas, there were only, I think, five trucks uh, participating in the rally. Um, and it is absolutely apparent that this, uh, this, um, this convoy is not, in fact, going to be making its way to Washington, D.C., or at least not so much as, as anybody in Washington, D.C., uh, would notice. So, I mean, there's a bit of, uh, I, I mean, that I think is a bit of good news for the Biden administration because there were concerns based on those scenes that we all witnessed in the Canadian capital that there could be efforts uh, to try and bring Washington to a standstill. I mean, it was never totally apparent what the American side of this convoy would be protesting about. I mean, at least in Canada, it was clear that they were acting against vaccine mandates and COVID restrictions that Justin Trudeau was responsible for implementing. Well, here, uh, face mask mandates are all local. They're not national. I mean, Joe Biden makes recommendations, but it's all the individual states that decide what to do, not, at the end of the day, uh, Washington, D.C. So it was never entirely clear what the ask was going to be uh, of this convoy, and um, clearly it's all petering out. And um, you've got one of these... Um is dingaling too rude a phrase? <laughs> the, a Republican congresswoman, one of these uh, gun-toting Bible bashers called Lauren Boebert. Oh, oh. <laughs> what was it she said? Uh, do you want me to read it to you? Yeah, go on. She said so much. Which, pati- oh, <laughs> which okay. particular quote? Right. Well, she was talking about the truckers' protest in Ottawa. Uh, she said, We also have neighbours to the north who need freedom and need to be liberated. America needs to liberate Canadians. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty extraordinary as the Freedom Convoy was gripping Ottawa, the extent to which Republicans like Congresswoman Bobart, but all sorts of Republicans, uh, including some very wealthy ones, funded the Freedom Convoy and, like Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, for example, started telling his voters that these Canadians are not only defending their own freedoms, they're not only driving across Canada for themselves, they're doing it for you. I mean, this notion that we had reached the point where Republicans had finally discovered something they liked about Canada. Uh, Because, you know, Canada's the the place with the kind of the National Health Service. Canada's the place Democrats say they're going to flee to if and when Donald Trump returns to the White House. But suddenly, here was an issue that uh, Republicans wanted to latch on to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Lauren Bobart. Uh, uh, is uh, ubiquitous uh, at uh, microphones. I think the most dangerous place in Washington is between her (laughs) and the live microphone on the floor of the House of Representatives. And definitely this is someone who uh, often speaks long before she has thought about what she is going to say. Now, just finally, there's this 
incredible story about what happened in a cinema in and it's one of those stories where you think well only in america but it's it's more specific than that it's only in florida yeah. <laughs> exactly this yeah. a retired policeman was sitting in a cinema and somebody in the audience was texting on their phone Tell us what happened next. Yes. So this all took place in, in 2014, and it was actually a big story at the time. I'm amazed it's taken so long for this to uh, come to trial and to be resolved. But um, these two families, uh, husband and wife, uh, sat in front of uh, another husband and wife uh, in a movie theatre watching an action film called Lone Survivor back in 2014. And this former police officer who was sitting with his wife uh, got very irritated when the guy in front of him started before the movie began texting uh to the babysitters that were looking after their kids to make sure everything was fine at home uh told him to stop texting the man in front of him got a little bit outraged by the tone that was used as the order was given um, and this built into an altercation between these two Florida men that resulted in the man who had been texting the babysitter uh, throwing popcorn in the face of the former police officer who promptly pulled out a weapon, because obviously if you were going to the movies, you would take your gun with you, and shot the guy who had thrown the popcorn in his face dead. Today, or, or yesterday, uh, no, today, the Florida jury in this case has acquitted the police officer of murder uh, buying the argument that he felt his life was in danger based on his 30 years in law enforcement and hours of training in the use of deadly force. He thought his life was in danger from the man who was throwing popcorn at him and then therefore it was perfectly reasonable to kill him in the movie theatre. Uh, and it is absolutely classic, classically only in Florida. <laughs> Thank goodness for uh, America maintaining its position at the top of the world rankings for um, uh, countries that are uh, a laughing stock, keeping us in firmly in second place. Can I tell you one other thing that happened in Florida over the weekend? I meant to mention this yesterday. You know, we were talking about Donald Trump and his uh, speech at CPAC in Orlando. Yes. I meant to tell you yesterday and forgot that uh, once he'd made his speech... Uh, his very wealthy supporters who had paid thousands of dollars to attend a private session with him behind the scenes at CPAC and to have dinner with Donald Trump arrived to discover that having paid thousands of dollars for the honour, Donald Trump was feeding them McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> Simon Marks, LBC's US correspondent, uh, talking to us there from Washington, D.C.